Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action to create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in this tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Liz Ronco. As Vice President of Product Management, Liz is responsible for Spiceworks Ziff Davis, SWZD, global product offering, including omni-channel marketing offerings and a comprehensive suite of B2B experiences that enable technology professionals to make the best decisions for their businesses. Liz joined SWZD in 2018 and quickly established new data-driven experiences and products to help businesses and technology providers make better decisions. She's continued transforming SWZD's product offering beyond data to optimize existing products and technology to build a product roadmap that maximizes value for end users and brands, ultimately creating the framework for an authentic connection between technology buyers and sellers. Prior to joining SWZD, Liz spent nearly 10 years with Oracle, where she had various leadership positions across data, analytics, and operational products, and systems with focus on product and technology integrations during mergers and acquisitions. Welcome to the show, Liz. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, Jennifer. It's wonderful to be here, and I'm excited as well. Great. So let's get started. So Liz, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Sure, of course. Um, it's kind of been a, a wild ride. I um, grew up, actually was born and raised in Silicon Valley, which is probably unique to a lot of folks. Um, but when it when I was growing up, Silicon Valley was not Silicon Valley. It was full of orchard farms and um, public service jobs and bricklayers. And that's a lot of kind of my background and where I grew up. So when I went to school and kind of went throughout my education, um, it was never really in my my mind I'd end up in tech. Tech kind of grew up around me. I grew up actually down the street from eBay. Um, so I always saw those kind of primary color block letters, but it was something that really entered my mind as an area I'd end up in. Um, and as I progressed through my education, going to university, I really ended up kind of gravitating towards, I guess, what we call STEM. However, I don't have a computer science degree. I have a finance degree. I always um, have loved math. I've loved statistics. Uh, I ended up in, in kind of, as I mentioned, finance. And it was just a, an area that I liked to explore and it was very logically minded to me. Um, and when I, I went kind of into where should I apply for a job? It was it was really the goal of how can I afford to live somewhere fun and exciting as a young professional? And so ending up in San Francisco, I ended up um, actually at Oracle is where I jumped into right after college. And 
it was a wonderful experience. It was something I've been in high tech my entire career, almost by accident, but it's definitely been something purposeful. I've been migrating through as I've gone through, I would say, you know, Oracle, which is high tech database, um, big data, things that we've evolved into cloud and fusion kind of came through their product portfolio as I was making my way in my career there. And then really ending up here at Spiceworks of Davis, similarly in the B2B space, um, but in more of a marketing and advertising type product role has really been an interesting evolution, definitely in related fields, but something that um, I've kind of followed just because it's been laced with not only interests of features and technology and evolution, which is fascinating to me, but also people who I have connected with and made that journey alongside them and hopefully them alongside me. And so it's been a really interesting way to kind of delve into the world of tech starting off in, you know, growing up in Silicon Valley where it wasn't that. And then I actually am now based in Austin, which is kind of another area of growth for technology that's really happened in the last couple of years. And so it's been an interesting combination of not only career growth for me, navigating everything from business analyst to systems development to product leader. Also, though, in the areas and the culture of watching technology change cities, change towns, um, bring those innovation hubs together has been actually fascinating to watch from both a career professional as well as someone just on the personal angle and, and life decisions I've been making. That's awesome. Um, I love that you're, I love your thought process about a place that you could afford to live, that you're going to be happy, you're going to have fun. Uh, that's really, you know, very insightful to be able to think that, not just think about a job, but really, you know, I want to live somewhere that's going to be meaningful to me and then find a job to support it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, I think, probably something a, a young 20-year-old definitely prioritizes. But I also think it's a philosophy that I hold true because anyone I believe that is, we all have parts of our careers and our jobs that we don't like, right? You can have the best job in the world. It can be your complete passion. There's parts of it that drive you insane. Um, and that's part of the fun part of being a whole person when it comes to your career. You're not just someone who goes to work every day. You're someone who lives with next to neighbors, you're someone who lives in a community, you're someone who contributes something both personally and professionally to that community. And as long as you enjoy that as a whole person, I think that's a very important aspect to fulfill a, what I would call, or maybe coin maybe as a successful career. Success can have many definitions, but in, uh, maybe I'm skipping ahead and some stuff we'll talk about later, but that's a huge philosophy of mine of why we should diversify how we can bring success and happiness and motivation to ourselves. It doesn't always have to be in the nine to five. It can be outside of that and it can kind of stitch different worlds together, which I find fascinating. I love that. And, you know, you want to be part of something bigger, uh, part of a whole, of being whole, which is what you said. And I love that because we are so much more than just our job, right? We're part of a community. We're part of a family. We're part of um, spiritual um, beings and lots of different areas. So you need to 
really consider all of that. So very mature on your part to think of that very early. Um, so you're a clear leader in the roles that you've had. Could you share with us some of your best practices around building and leading great teams, especially for women? Absolutely. Um, building and leading great teams. Let me be clear. I'm still figuring out how to do that. <laughs> um, we all are. It's, it's a constant process for me. And leadership is something that's always attracted me, um, whether it's a leadership on a sports team or in the office or in your community. I find it um, personally motivating, which is not the case for everyone. And I think it's also something to be said that if that's not your motivation, that's okay. The kind of quintessential organizational leader sometimes is not attractive for many people. And there's a lot of different vantage points and ways to lead. But when I think about the leadership roles that I've taken on have, have been kind of in the organizational sense in which there is a team of people um, or an organization of people that I oversee. And some of the biggest things that I've learned, especially as I've gone young in my career up till now, is never ask anything of your team that you're not willing to do yourself. And it doesn't mean you know how to do it. I, I manage people who can do their jobs far better, better than I ever could. But um, I think that's a big thing and a big philosophy for me in a way that I can feel like I lead successfully is, is by example. So don't ask your managers to have hard conversations with their employees if you're not willing to have the same conversation. Um, don't ask your team to stretch their boundaries if you're not willing to stretch your own boundaries. And so that's a, that's a big thing of what I personally find when I'm asking my team to do to be something that I would be okay with as a person if someone else asked me to do the same thing. And so that's, I think, a bedrock of, of my leadership style personally. And the other thing, and it goes into a little bit more of, I think for women especially, I think men culturally are raised to have this capability kind of built into them, which is boundary setting. And I think as women sometimes, especially in the Western culture, we're used to women saying yes to things, to having a smile on their face. And it's a very archaic view of it, but Unfortunately, it runs deep in our culture. And so I find a lot of women that this is this personally for me, but also women that I mentor is how do I say no to something without feeling like I'm letting someone down or I'm the bad guy? And I think teaching young women, women professionals to understand that boundary setting is healthy. It's OK. And it actually is going to help you be a better person, a better leader, and a better contributor long term is huge. I had a, um, when I was very young in my career, I had a, a VP that I walked into her office with my director and she kept asking me to do things and I kept wanting to help and show that I was leaning in and saying yes. And I walked out of the room and my director turned to me and she goes, you need to start learning how to say no to things. Stop mm -hmm. saying yes to everything. It's going to get you in trouble. And that was uh, just it's something that stuck with me for a long time. Um, and it goes into this place of we don't always have to be everything and do everything for everyone else to contribute value. Sometimes saying no is extremely valuable to the organization because you can put your best put, foot forward on things you say yes to. Is there one time that you remember that you had to really exercise that muscle and set that boundary that you said no to something that you probably in the past would have said yes to? 
every day. <laughs> every day. It's um, and I think as leading, I've ended up in a leadership and a product organization for a reason. I enjoy solving problems. I enjoy identifying problems. I enjoy thinking creatively about how we can solution them. And a problem um, or a friction point for me is it's like a it's like an itch I need to scratch, I need to fix, and it's it's innate in my personality, um, and that's why I believe I'm good at my job. It's why when I recruit for this type of a role, um, I look for that in people, people who are not just concerned about the solution, but about why the solution is needed. Um, and so boundary setting for me is something that I have to habitually work on, that I have to consciously think about. And um, it's really, again, helped me bring that to a place where I probably have a lot of work to do about it, but I think the other thing is if you know you have a problem, <laughs> you know you have something you can work on, and you consciously and purposely work on it, you can get better at it, even if you just do that internally. Right? You can use allies and, and mentors that you rely on to help work through that, but if it's something you know about yourself, it's okay to leverage that almost as a strength for it to challenge yourself to make sure that you continually work and continually make yourself better. And it feels really good as an individual to kind of know when you're successful at something that maybe otherwise you think you struggle with. It does. I've had some situations, you know, over the years where I had to learn boundary setting, which I'm not good at either. I say yes to everything. I always want to please everybody. And that's not good for my health, you know. And like when you said boundary setting is healthy, it really is because there are times I'm like, I am just exhausted. I cannot go to another dinner with somebody, right? Because then I have to be on and I have to, it's just a lot of work. And I just have to say, sorry, I can't do it this time, but let's do something next month, you know? And that's really hard for me. And then sometimes that night I'll be like, oh, I could have gone. I'm really okay, you know? <laughs> But it is tough. But I love I love the things that you're saying. You know, I, I believe in the same types of things. Never ask anything of anyone that you wouldn't do yourself. I believe in that. Lead by example. Get your hands dirty. Put your sleeves up and get in there with your team and they will respect you. And the boundary setting is also another great, great um, lesson learned and something that we should always practice as women, especially. So now let's talk about, are there any lessons learned that you can share a story or something that, that you've gone through in your career that can help our listeners learn from you? Yeah, there, there is, there are a couple, um, but maybe going on with this theme of kind of boundary setting and, and not people pleasing, which again, I think no matter the the gender you identify with, um, men, you know, have people pleasing attributes, but it's definitely something that I think is um, largely more found in women. Um, and so another thing around boundaries, it's kind of on this, the same theme, but it's understanding and leaning into what you don't want to be good at as much as what you want to be good at. And so there are so many incredibly talented people out there that could do so many different things. And this goes back to, I'm a firm believer, you can come out with an art history degree and go into technology um, and end up coding, right, a platform. There is, technology is 
so disruptive and fascinating and fast moving that the skills that we have today that we learn in school are going to be for jobs that exist today. Whereas there are jobs, many jobs, especially in tech, that are gonna exist tomorrow that we don't even know about. We can't even comprehend. And so if you leave that opportunity open for yourself to say, there are things I could get into that I don't even, I'm not even aware of today. What are the unknowns to me? And leave that opportunity open. That, you know, we we asked women and, and kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a very unfair question to me because much of what we want to be when we grow up even me today I ask myself what do I want to be when I grow up um that's really hard to answer when you answer it you almost limit the possibilities that you could get into versus if we switch it on its head and say what are you not interested in what do you not want to be what doesn't motivate you it's almost rewarding to understand, hey, you know what, I don't like these things, or I'm not comfortable in this environment, or I don't want to be that person, I don't want to have that job one day. And that is something that, again, going into this, this habit of saying yes all the time as women, and, you know, feeling like you have to do more in order to contribute more value versus kind of work smarter to contribute more value. One of the things that I learned, and it was kind of midway through my career was I was in a job that I would loved. I was very good at, enjoyed the people around it. We were rolling out some experiences that were fulfilling. They were solving problems. Um, but I was having this friction point within my career development and what I ultimately wanted to get out of this piece of my career long term. And I had to realize that the management that I was under, though I respected tremendously, and though I had um, a lot of things to learn from them, I woke up one day and I realized I didn't want to be my boss. I didn't want to be my vice president. I didn't want to be my CEO, right? I, I didn't, I wasn't interested in that career path, which was exceptionally illuminating and rewarding. And this stress lifted off me to say, okay, if I don't want to do that, doesn't mean I'm unhappy in my job, doesn't mean I'm going to leave right away, but now I can start making conscious decisions about, okay, well, if it's not this, what is it? What are other pathways I can dabble into? And this is where with career development, it's just like life. You go into it and you have a certain set of variables that you understand exist, but then you get a little bit further and there are new variables that exist, or there's different decisions made by other people that maybe impact the way you think you have new information that's kind of enlightened to you and it allows you to tweak and optimize. And I'm you know, sitting here talking in a very producty way, but it's the way that I think um, you can optimize the decisions you're making to get yourself to that point of I want to be here today. Doesn't mean I want to be here tomorrow and that's OK. And I think that's a big lesson in my career that I've learned is that careers are not pathways that are linear. They are not pathways. They can spiral. They can change directions. Um, they can change industries. And, and it's all about following the information and the motivation that you have at that moment. And even if that motivation conflicts with itself long term, that's not a problem because you at least made a decision. You've at least made progress. And I think the biggest thing that's scary, especially for young professionals, is they get into this place where 
I need to know what I'm going to do when I graduate college or graduate university. And if I don't, I've failed somehow. And we've got to get rid of that mindset. We've got to remove that from, I think, everyone within within the working world of just open up your possibilities because it's going to make our organizations better. It's going to make our economy better. It's going to make our work-life balance better. And it's going to make who we are as people more holistic. Yeah, I completely agree. You have hit on some really, really great points, you know, um, to focus on what you're not interested in to see, you know, that's not what I want to get into. If you know what that is and that awareness is huge. So I, I love that. Um, you know, and I always say, let's build on people's strengths, not their weaknesses. Um, so, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of leaders uh, focus on what people can't do or what they're not doing and not focus so much on their strengths. And I think the strengths are the ones that will take you, you know, further than if you're going to try to change them into something that they're not. So that's that's really interesting. And I, I have a question for you. So you said, you know, you weren't interested in being your CEO or that pathway or the VP pathway. Is it because of the person who was in that or the actual role? How did you decipher the two? It, it wasn't the person. Um, okay. The person is actually what kept me interested in it because the people, and I, I've had the, I don't want to say the luck because I hope, hope most people experience this, but I've been fortunate enough to work for people throughout my career that I've admired for so many different reasons, male, female, um, whatever kind of the, the identification is, it's never been about that. The skill set, um, the experience has always been really awe-inspiring to me. Um, and so it's never the people. If anything, the people keep me there longer. Okay. It was, what I realized was I was going to be solving the same problems over and mm. over and over again. And I wasn't interested in those problems. There are some problems that I love solving over and over <laughs> and over again. Because um, they're, they're, you know, it's the same thing. History repeats itself. History repeats itself at a global level. It repeats itself in the workplace. Um, it's human nature, right, that, that lends towards that. But it was really realizing that the problems that this career pathway is going to take me down were going to be problems that I was no longer interested in putting effort towards. Okay. And that made differentiation. That's great. And I love the lesson that you learned about your pathway doesn't have to be linear. You can take forks in the road. You can go left, right, forward. All of them are right. There's no wrong pathway because if it makes you happy and it's where you need to be at that moment, that's what it is. So really, really great lessons. Um, so let's talk about your experiences as a woman in a male-dominated industry. We know you know, all the tech space is so male dominated. Mm -hmm. Can you think of a challenge that you experienced and how you overcame it? Um, yes, definitely. Just like any of these questions, I think I have several. But, you know, when it comes to um, the male dominantness of tech, it's also, um, I experienced, you know, I came into tech right out of college. And I came into tech when it was a time it was still blossoming into, I think, what it is today. I think it's very different today than it was when I came into it. Um, and it wasn't so much about being a woman, but it was also about being a young woman, a young woman who wasn't, didn't have a computer science degree, didn't have a master's, 
um, kind of just had my wits about me, who was articulate. I could speak up. I wasn't afraid to speak up. And, um, but I was kind of always looked at with, you know, people's heads were cocked. Like, what, why is she speaking? Is, does she really know what she's talking about? And um, I think that's, that's an undertone. Unfortunately, I've navigated through a lot of my career. And I really think a lot of that comes from a subconscious reaction, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. to young women. A lot of times I've had conversations and I've actually called people out and many people don't even realize they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's this, um, this conversation of bringing to the forefront of saying, you did this, it was uncomfortable, let's have a conversation, it's respectful. And they say, oh my goodness, I did not even realize that, was, that, that look was on my face or that I redirected that question away from you. It was just subconscious. So that mm-hmm. gender bias um, and even kind of age discrimination can come in many subconscious forms. And I think that's a big thing um, as a leader and someone who experiences it themselves, but I also keep an eye out for it for, you know, to become an ally to others in the organization who maybe don't have that same uh, predisposition to speak up or are a little bit quieter. And so that's something Do you I always think, address it. Do you always address it with them? For the most part, yes. If I see it, I do. That's um, good. That's good. And, and it's something that um, a lot of times it's small. It's it's not it's not overt. Um, and it's really helping, I think, our peers understand that it's an okay conversation to have. And it's okay to respectfully address it with someone and not make them feel like they're a villain. And there are mm-hmm. ways you can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know if I did it for, you know, any reason that maybe I was unaware of, I would want to be called out and coached and trained mm-hmm. on how I could do better there. But going back to your original question as to, especially male-dominated tech, when did I experience a, a specific challenge? And it was re- more recently in my career, um, I made the switch kind of in the back half of my career into data product management, which data product management, talk about something that's very male-dominated, um, male-dominated from the engineer to the marketing person. And it's changing, but it's something that I came into as a, as a female, almost a lone female in most rooms, even if I was client-facing, um, came into it as a female with a non-technical degree. And there was a, a major self-imposed imposter syndrome. Do I have the right to be strategically leading this product line? Do I have the right to be establishing a new revenue stream of this technical magnitude inside a company? Um, it was daunting. And it I don't remember it being externally inflicted. I definitely remember it being internally. And it was the first time I had dealt with really long-term imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess time was my ally. I just continued to work through and and realized that um, I could go toe to toe and have conversations with these, you know, PhD data scientists and be respected in the same room. I could, I started seeing coworkers, male and female, like leaning on me as a subject matter expert and really just allowing myself to be uncomfortable, to give myself time to address that uncomfortableness and to work through it by finding allies that were both functional allies, so people I could learn from and understand more about things, but also that I could talk through that issue with and and kind of 
be open with someone else about understanding the fact that it's okay if I have this, but don't sit in it. Don't allow it to overtake you. Try to figure out how you can move through it and understand that the organization hired you for a reason, right? You were interviewed, you were vetted through a whole bunch of other candidates, you were selected, they know who you are and they know what you have to offer. And that was something that was told to me that was very helpful and kind of reminding myself that I didn't force my way in the building. I didn't trick anyone about what my capabilities are, who I am or who I can be. I gave them the facts it's on a piece of paper. It's in, a, it's in an interview process and they selected me for the job. Mm-hmm. And so that that was a big thing that really, I think, leaned into my insecurities as a female, but also as a, a non-technical female um, and a very male-dominated and very technical side of the business. It's a great, great example. And, you know, I know many women go through the same thing. So working through it and really staying uncomfortable, but still changing that voice in your head is so important to say, I am adding value. I was selected for a reason. I am the right person for this position. So I think, you know, those things are really, really important to keep talking to yourself and letting yourself know that, um, that, you know, you're, you are valuable, which is really great. So thank you for that. That was really great. Um, so you've you've spent a lot of time in the data world, and data is a hot hot topic these days. What are some ways organizations are using data to drive experiences and analysis? I think now, if if you're a a smart organization, it's more the question is what ways are you not using data to drive experiences and analysis? Um, I spend my entire day in data, whether it's you know looking at operational metrics or product metrics or actually deploying data products, um, especially within the tech world, data has been embraced as, I think the term is that um, data is the new oil or or forget forget what the exact term is, but data is so important that it is the fuel, the machine that drives technology. And it's the way that, you know, in the product world, it's the way that I identify good product managers is if they're data driven. Um, you know, gut goes a long way, experience goes a long way, but the numbers don't lie. The numbers can be fudged, but they usually don't lie. Um, and so from, from a place of data, um, know that as you're going into an organization, especially as a kind of female navigating, maybe a career choice, that data is your friend and data helps neutralize a lot of the bias that exists in decision making and so leveraging it to a strength leveraging it as a way to back up probably a lot of the gut intuition that you already have is going to be crucial to helping you navigate your career and really bringing that playing field up to equity which i think is a lot of where women struggle still it's again in the subconscious space and i think anecdotally i think we're getting a lot better at it in technology i've seen a lot more female leaders and female product leaders, um, heads of product, but it's something that really we can leverage, I think, as a way to bring equity into the playing field of decision-making. And that's how, as an organization, we can leverage data to really look at ourselves in the mirror. How are we intentionally maybe staffing for diversity or recruiting different skill sets, but also how are we making business decisions within our four walls and here at Spiceworks, if Davis, data is crucial to everything that we do and navigate because it is so important to understand the reality of what's going on either with a product or with the teams or with 
organizational processes and it's a way that allows us to have a clear picture and make the best decisions possible. I think that's so true. You know, years ago when I started my business, I would make decisions based on gut. And today there's so much information and you can make such good decisions based on data. And like you said, those numbers don't lie. So if you really want to understand your business, if you really want to get deep into what your customers are thinking or what they're doing, data is the way to go. It really is. So um, as you know, this podcast is focused around bridging the culture and pay gap and employment gap for women in tech. What are you seeing in the industry today? So in your world, from your lens, what, what are you seeing? Are the numbers of women in tech increasing, decreasing, about the same? What are you seeing? I think from my anecdotal experience, it's definitely improving. Um, I know we've seen more women CEOs um, coming in. We've seen some of those numbers tick up this year. It's not, I think, where any of us want it to be, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely not representative of the population um, of women and what we contribute to, to overall society. But in the company specifically that that I work for, Spiceworks Ziff Davis, um, and Ziff Davis as a larger corporate parent entity for us, we are exceptionally focused on ensuring that diversity is leveraged as a strength and ensuring that, you know, intersecting identities, no matter, you know, how you identify, uh, whether it's gender or um, age or sexuality, anything like that, all of those are purposefully represented in a way that brings the best talented skill set into the building. And part of the crucial ways we've done that is embracing a remote work culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something in the tech space we're seeing more of. And we see companies every once in a while announce of having people come back into the office, but that flexibility into our lives of allowing ourselves to work and be the best that we can inside the four walls of our workspace, the virtual walls, I should say, of our workspace, Mm -hmm. as well as allowing us to be flexible with the lives of whether you have children or you don't have children or you have hobbies or um, maybe you're, you know, developing something on on an educational front, allowing yourself and your business to really lean into the flexibility of life really, I think, is going to help bring women to a place where they have the capabilities to contribute more. We remove barriers for them um, to come into tech. And, you know, overall, I've seen a lot of technology companies start embracing that and realizing that doesn't this doesn't only open up the talent for women to come in the building, but again, all intersecting identities and no matter your location, um, you know, a, a remote workforce can be a very, very powerful tool inside of our industry today. And I think as we go towards that, we're going to start seeing the things around the bridging of the culture, the pay, the employment gap for women in tech really help address that. It's not going to solve it. I don't think it's a silver bullet. But the other thing, you know, it is a tool. And the other thing that can help us solve it is going to be around talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be around bringing the data to the forefront about where we exist today as an industry and what are those things that can help us be better. And I think one thing you touched on before was an unconscious bias to -hmm. really learn about our unconscious biases by respectfully and professionally calling it out so that we can learn from it. Because like you said, many people don't even know that they are doing that. You know, they're not intentionally doing anything to hurt you, but 
they, they there are biases. We all have them from where we grew up, our education, our family, our you know whatever surroundings. We all have biases, and so understanding what your biases are that are unconscious really make them more conscious. And I love that you said diversity is a strength. It really is. If you look at numbers and how diversity contributes to the bottom line, the the numbers are stellar, you know, so uh, companies really need to look at it that way and have that open playing field so that they can have different perspectives, different ideas, different opinions, so that they're making decisions based on who their customers are, because they're all different as well. So that's, that's really great. Um, Wow, I could talk to you forever, Liz. (laughs) So in closing, um, just a quick question, who inspires you and why? I get this question. I think about it a lot. And it's a hard answer because the answer is there's so many people. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I think I'm going to go with the fact that the women leaders that are directly on my team today are completely inspirational to me. Um, they're they're individuals who I see growing and learning and challenging themselves every single day. And, you know, they're the the people I probably work with closest day to day. And I, you know, I'm helping them, but I'm also watching them challenge me. And mm-hmm. so um, I think my answer today is, is, you know, the women leaders who I have the pleasure of leading. Um, I have the pleasure of being being inspired by and being taught by. Um, and it, it forces me to always keep that bar high for myself and make sure that I'm bringing the best version of myself to work and bringing the best version of myself for my team to work. That's great. That's great. And they're obviously amazing women leaders at your organization because you have some extraordinary perspectives you you've learned so much during your career that is so valuable to our listeners. So thank you for sharing those with us. Um, so in closing, are there any uh, pieces of advice you would give to the listeners or women in tech? Never leave your authentic self at the door. Always okay. make sure it can come to work with you. And if your authentic self is not welcomed in that workplace, then that workplace is something that you should not welcome. Oh, that is such good advice. Liz, thank you so much. If you can share uh, how our listeners can get a hold of you, that would be awesome. I think the best place to get a hold of me is actually going to be through LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. You can find me at my full name, Elizabeth Ronco. Um, and I'm listed as the vice president of product at Spiceworks at Davis, and I'm pretty easy to find. Um, go ahead and direct message me if you have any questions or want to connect. And I really appreciate it. And Jennifer, thank you so much for having me here today. It was an honor to have you, Liz. I enjoyed our conversation and hope to have you on a future show. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. 
As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.